your fellow Sojourners, and welcome back to another edition of Appropriate in the Culture. On today's episode, we continue our discussion on whether or not Christians should watch horror films and address the underlying biblical principle. I'm Pastor Shane, and I'll be your biblical stickler today as we appropriate some culture. So last week we looked at common Christian antagonism toward the horror genre as demonstrated in a video by CBN News on faith versus culture, and critiquing that video we convincingly, and with winsome charm, showed that the special antagonism toward the horror genre is unwarranted and superficial. In fact, as we laid out, the horror genre is more likely, not less likely, to correspond to Christian morality and a Christian worldview, and it is the only genre out of Hollywood that would ever even dare to portray Christians in a positive light let alone as heroes. So if we're judging entertainment not on individual merit, but as a genre, then collectively the horror genre is much more Christian than any other, and so the rejection of it in its entirety is completely superficial. Not everything that looks bad is bad, not everything that looks good is good. As scripture says, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. Or as Frodo Baggins said in Tolkien's Lord of the Rings, I think a servant of the enemy would look fairer and feel fouler. Which is a great point and very true, except not really in the Lord of the Rings. I mean, all the enemies are pretty ugly. Orcs, goblins, trolls, balrogs, Nazgul, Shelob, Wormtongue. Pretty much everything bad is ugly. But it's still a good point, and we shouldn't be superficial in our thinking. Some of the most anti-Christian and corrosive things in our culture come to us in pretty unpleasant packages. But there's a bigger issue here, and that comes about when we get to the scriptural basis. So let's take a look at the scriptural support for why to stay away from horror films in the faith versus culture segment. The most important thing we can do whenever we're discussing a difficult topic is look to the Word of God. What does scripture have to say about these issues, including watching horror movies? Yeah, absolutely. And there's one scripture that comes to mind for me when I think about a topic like this. It's Philippians 4, 8, which I'll read in just a second. But, um, you know, I think there's never going to be a one size fits all, right? Like, yes, no, don't do it. But when you read a scripture like this, um, it it can help maybe guide you when you're deciding whether or not this is something that you should consume. Finally, brothers, whatever is true— Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So if you're consuming just gore for gore's sake in a in a violent horror movie, is that fulfilling any of these things? Is there any tie you could make to, to this or are you just filling your brain with something that clearly doesn't fit any of these things? Or is there some a virtue in a story, like Trey was saying, like maybe the, maybe the, um, you know, because you look at the passion of the Christ, that's pretty gory, right? But of course there's virtue there. We know this is the, this is Christ crucified on the cross and you're, and you're, you know, watching this, uh, in a, in a, a movie portrayal of it. So of course there's virtue in learning about, you know, the gospel of Christ. So, but again, some people say, I still don't want to watch that. I don't want to see all that violence. So, um, So again, I don't think there's going to be a clear black and white line, but I think when you look to scripture, just be discerning. 
Yes, be discerning, and again I will repeat, there is plenty of reason to be prudent in what we're doing. But thinking about such things, which is what the verse says, is an internal process. It's not outward stimuli. Which is to say, if you see something that is genuinely terrible and your thought is, that's terrible, then your thought is true, noble, pure, lovely, excellent, and praiseworthy. The point is not what are we seeing and what are we hearing. The point is what do we think about what we're seeing and what we're hearing? How are we internally responding? The world that Paul is writing this letter in wasn't movie violence. It wasn't fake gore and fake blood where no one is harmed and no one dies. It was in a world where there were public executions and public floggings, and not just Jesus, people who actually deserved it from time to time and ride out in front of everybody, in public, where children could see and did. And the notion that letting into our minds images of violence and gore violates that Philippians passage is not congruent with the rest of Scripture. Let's look at Deuteronomy. If your own brother or your son or your daughter or the wife you love or your closest friend secretly entices you, saying, let us go and worship other gods, gods that neither you nor your ancestors have known, gods of the peoples around you, whether near or far, from one end of the land to the other, do not yield to them or listen to them. Show them no pity. Do not spare them or shield them. You must certainly put them to death. Your hand must be the first in putting them to death, and then the hands of all the people. Stone them to death because they have tried to turn you away from the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Then all Israel will hear and be afraid, and no one among you will do such an evil thing again. That's not movie violence. That's not fake gore. That's real. God wants all the people to see the violence and gore, to hear about it, and to be afraid. And God explicitly wants you to think about such things. That's the whole point. See that violence. See that gore. Learn the lesson. And many horror films are moral plays, even though the violence and the gore are fake, unlike the Bible. And if you're biblically illiterate enough to think that it was just an empty threat from God with no teeth— no, it wasn't. For instance, the son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse, so they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Shelomith, the daughter of Debri the Danite. They put him in custody until the will of the Lord should be made clear to them. Then the Lord said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay their hands on his head, and the entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of the Lord is to be put to death. The entire assembly must stone them. Whether foreign or native-born, when they blaspheme the name, they are to be put to death. Many such cases. Real violence, not fake. Real gore, not fake. And everybody involved. Sure, but just don't think about such things. What? God is not schizophrenic. The God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. All scripture is God-breathed. There is nothing inherently sinful about violence or gore or seeing violence or gore. It is not biblically cohesive to suggest that violence and gore are anathema to the true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy. That is not a line of reasoning that carries through Scripture. Paul is not saying fill your mind with the right kinds of topics. No, it's think about everything rightly. 
Thinking is an internal process. It's not external stimuli. Or we could put the passage this way. We are to have the thoughts of God. God has all knowledge. Everything is laid out before him, and he has seen every single horror film ever made. Nothing escapes him, including all of the sin and wickedness in the entire world. He's seen it all, but his response to sin is always holy. His thoughts are always true, noble, pure, lovely, excellent, and praiseworthy. Now again, and we always say this, one should always be prudent. Everything is permissible doesn't mean that everything is beneficial. But the stimuli is fundamentally not the principal issue. You can have impure thoughts sitting in a church service. What determines the purity, nobleness, and godliness of the thoughts is not the stimuli. It's you. It's your response. Because otherwise, and this is the real problem, it suggests then that sin is external. But Jesus tells us, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and said, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. And again he says, For it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder. And the Apostle Paul says, Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as though you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom, with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. It lacks value restraining sensual indulgence because the problem isn't external. It's internal. Sin is not external. That is not a biblical notion. Temptation can be external, which is why it can still be wise and prudent to shield yourself from material, but sin is not external. It's not what goes in. It's what comes out. It's what the stimuli elicits. And this is really important because if sin is external, then you can't live in the world because it is never permissible to sin. If hearing bad language in a movie is a sin, then you can't minister to non-Christians because they might use bad language. You might hear bad words from them, and it's never okay to sin. If seeing violence and gore is sin, then God commands people to sin when he institutes public executions. So that doesn't seem likely. What about nudity? Is seeing nudity sin? No. My Christian parents brought me to see Michelangelo's David. Don't think it's a sin. I think it's a great work of art. I don't think Christian doctors need to shield their eyes during certain medical exams. But what about nudity that's meant to entice? What about pornography? Isn't seeing pornography a sin? No. Uh, For instance, let's take the most vile, disgusting expression of pornography. When someone is arrested for having child pornography on their hard drive, how do they know that? Somebody has to view the material. Police, forensics experts, prosecutors, judges, and jurors, even if it's somewhat redacted, they must view the evidence. Are they sinning because of that? The biblical answer is no. Sin is not what comes into your eyes. It's not what goes into your ears. It's what comes out. This is the problem.
If we respond to all of this stimuli in the same way that God responds to it, then all of our thoughts would be true, noble, pure, lovely, excellent, and praiseworthy. But again, and I will yet again repeat myself, sin isn't external, but temptation can be, which is why we should still be wise and prudent about what we expose ourselves to. So the question should be, when you watch horror films, in what ways is it tempting you to sin? And for a plethora of horror films, I think the answer is legitimately not at all. Next scripture. I think it's easy to kind of, we justify different things in our minds, but, uh, you know, we can say, well, it's just entertainment. I don't actually believe any of these things. Uh, But of course, it is shaping our our worldview and our perspective. And I think we can expand it past just horror movies. Like you were saying is, are you watching something that's really sexually explicit? Are you watching something that's just got a ton of really bad language in it? Uh, Or the characters are living in a really, uh, a lifestyle that's really contradictory uh, to scripture. And then you have to ask yourself, I've had to ask myself so many times uh, when I'm just watching something on Netflix and just letting next episode play, then the next episode play, I'm thinking, should I really be like watching this? Is this actually something that's edifying? Is it building up uh, my spirit? Because as as Christians living in a broken world, uh, and we obviously have to contend with our own flesh and our own sinful desires, we have enough trouble doing that on our own. We don't necessarily need the help of Hollywood uh, giving us you know more shows uh, and more opportunities to get ourselves closer and closer and closer uh, to the edge of that cliff before we jump in and we do something uh, that, of course, later we're going to regret. Uh, and a passage for me that's that's been really convicting and just a great help with this issue and so many others uh, is James 4.4. It says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? I say it again, if you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. So it's something uh, that James in his writing, he had to repeat it twice in one sentence uh, or one verse, uh, because I think it's something we're also tempted to do is, well, I just want to take in this little piece of the world because it's not really hurting anybody. It's not really a, a big deal. Uh, but there's a, a a really stark, like it's a dark line, right, that the Lord has written. If you're going to choose the world, that's an idol and you're choosing it over me. Uh, and as you said, Dan, there's no like cookie cutter exact answer for these questions, but you have to follow the Holy Spirit's conviction in your life. And if it's something that the Holy Spirit has given you pause about, uh, then maybe there's a reason and maybe you shouldn't be entertaining this because it is something that is pitting your desires, the world, against your relationship with the Lord, and I would never want to be on the side against the Lord. So the wisdom here is that you should never, ever violate your conscience. If you feel the Holy Spirit telling you to not do something, don't do it. It says in Romans, I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. And later it tells us that anything that doesn't come from faith is sin. How does that make sense? I mean, if it's not sin, it's not sin. Well, if you think it's a sin and you do it anyway, then you have disobeyed God in your heart, which is a sin. Again, it always comes back here. If you are fully convinced in your mind that watching horror films is a sin, then you should not watch horror films. Don't violate your conscience. That is a teaching of Scripture. But as to this notion of being friends with the world, the problem with that sort of interpretation of the text is that there's no limiting principle. I don't watch horror films because I'm not a friend of the world. Oh, but you watch sports? What are you, a friend of the world? 
Oh, you own a television? Friend of the world much? Oh, you have electricity? Oh, la-di-da, Mr. Friend of the world. And pretty soon you're Amish. There's no limiting principle here. But I agree that we should be set apart. But we are called to be set apart in holiness, in righteousness. That's what sets us apart from the world. The worldliness that James was talking about right before that verse were things like lust, envy, murder, greed, you know, sin. That's the worldliness that he's talking about. That's what we're called to not be friends with. That's what we're called to be set apart from. Last scripture. Yeah. Well, and, and I would and I would say, too, this idea that, oh, it's just entertainment. We need to stop saying that. Entertainment, yes, it's entertainment, but many of the things we've watched happen in this country, the shifts on big issues, important issues, they have happened as a result of entertainment, and entertainers have said that. You know, directors have openly said that. They've had causes they've wanted to champion through their work, and they have done that. And so that's an important thing to understand. You can change hearts and minds for the better or for the worse through entertainment. And so we're not just taking things in randomly with no effect. You know, Matthew 6, 22 to 24, it tells us the eye is the lamp of the body. And I think this is one of the most convicting verses on this. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. And if we're putting darkness in all the time, clearly we are not going to be filled with the light that we need to be filled with. Oh, dang. So how does that verse relate to our statement that sin is not external? Now, first of all, notice again, he's presupposing that horror films are darkness without doing the work to make that case. But looking at this verse in the totality of Scripture, we have to understand it in a certain vein because Jesus is not in conflict with himself. Jesus said, it's not what goes into a man that makes him unclean. And in that context, he's being very literal. He was talking specifically about eating food. In this context, he's being more figurative. How can I say that? Well, because if you're taking this one literally, the application wouldn't be, don't look at horror films. It would be, don't look at money. This verse is sandwiched between verses about treasure and money. Here it is. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So what's the thrust of the passage? Fix your heart on things above. Fix your eyes on things above. Fix your gaze on what's eternal. Fix your heart on what won't perish. That's great advice, but it is once again a heart issue. But I've never seen a panel of Christians convened to discuss whether or not Christians should have savings accounts. I mean, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. Golly gee, it's almost as if we understand the point of what Jesus is saying when it comes to other things, but we become very obtuse when it comes to movies. And that's a real shame because, as the gentleman rightly points out, movies and entertainment have a tremendous impact on the culture. It affects people. It changes hearts and minds. 
And so rather than shield ourselves and hide from the culture, Christians should be actively engaging in the culture to produce positive change. Christians should be making movies. And this is why this analysis becomes more deeply problematic, because it discourages Christians from consuming art. But there's a direct connection between being good consumers of art and being good producers of art. There is not a single good filmmaker in the world who was not first a student of film. Every single good movie maker has watched a lot of movies. You want to be a good Christian horror filmmaker? You got to watch a lot of horror. But part of the reason Christians are so bad at making movies is because we're not allowed to engage with it. And that's like a football coach who's only allowed to watch game film from Christian schools. Do you think he's going to be a good coach? It's precisely because movies and entertainment are so influential. It's because they shape hearts and minds that Christians should engage in the culture, not disengage. And for my part, that's what I'm doing. In addition to my upcoming movies, my next book is being released this month. And if you order a copy or 10 of six rounds for The Witching Hour and we sell a hundred copies in the first few weeks of release, I have pledged to watch and review 80 for Brady. The true story of octogenarians who go to watch Tom Brady play in the Super Bowl. If sin were ever external, this would be the case. Well, that's it for today. If you like what we're doing here, like, subscribe, share, review, join my author's Facebook page, follow me on the major socials, and I'll see you next time for more Appropriate in the Culture. (laughs) 